Alright, three, two, one. How's it going, everybody? And welcome back to the Nerd Stuff with Ian 2.0 podcast. As always, I'm your host, Ian. As you guys already know, we're bringing back the MMA podcast for episode six. And of course, you know we're going to talk about the first fights on UFC Fight Island. And did they live up to what they were? Now, I know every one of us kind of had this whole concept of like, oh, it's going to be like, you know, they're having, you know, fights on the beach, this ridiculous stuff, which realistically we all kind of knew it wouldn't be like that because it's just too much risk with a lot of what's going on. And, like, we all felt like it was going to be like Van Damme's Bloodsport, Mortal Kombat, like some something that was just Air of the Dragon, something ridiculous. And a lot of ways, like, I'm not going to lie, I joked about it. Like, I definitely wanted to, like, start up UFC Fight Island with, like, freaking Bloodsport soundtrack. Just playing bon- playing the drums in the background, getting everybody hyped. Like, that would have been definitely cool. But at the same time, I also feel like that, as all well, I liked how the event played. I didn't feel like it was, overall, I didn't feel like it was, you know, oh, it's, this sucks. Like, no, I thought it was a great idea, and I still think... That works out because now we're not limited on, oh, well, you're only in the United States, you can fight. Now we can actually get international fighters. You know, we can get people to actually come up to Ireland and fight. Now you can get Khabib, you can get Connor, you can get all these other fighters, and it works. And that's, Fight Island proved it. I mean, the amount of testing, the amount of everything they did, man, like crazy. So, figured let me throw that out there and kind of get out my whole blood sport fantasy ridiculous stuff that was going to be involved with it because let's be honest here i think everybody hyped up the island even after we still heard some details we were like dude this is still just cool like i was just super hyped just to even watch the card man like i was i'm just ready and i'm curious about the next couple cards for it but let's get into the to the fights of course we have kamara rusman versus jorge masvidal you have you know, Max Holloway versus Volkanovski. You have Peter Jan versus Jose Aldo. You have French Rose Namajunas versus Jessica Andrade. You have Amanda Ribas versus Paige Van Zant. I mean, you you had a pretty good pay-per-view card and a couple other, you know, good fights that also took place on that same car on the UFC Fight Island or UFC 251. We'll just go with UFC 251 for that. And... To me, I just thought it just, overall, even going to the main event, like, I thought it was still a good card, even though, and I'll give my opinions on the main event between Masvidal and Usman and everything else happened that, I think overall, Fight Island lived up to what it was supposed to be. It was a great fight card, not as great as Gaethje versus Tony, which that card was ridiculous. But I feel like this card was a good step in showing, like, hey, you can still put on great quality fights. The UFC's doing it. And people need to be paying attention. So, in that sense, it did its job. And I'm not even mad. Now, I am going to suggest a couple fights to watch from that. But I, actually, I'm just going to, like usual, I always suggest, like, the biggest fights from that card. Or the ones I feel like will get the most fan intrigue. You know, the first one I'm going to throw out there is Ustamir versus Jiri Prajotska. And, yo, that that knockout was just crazy. 
you know, 49 seconds into the second round, like, dude just blasted Ustamir. He was like, and no time. Like, he took Ustamir's no time, and it was just like, and, he's like, yeah, I played a little bit too much in the first round. I gave Ustamir a little bit of, you know, confidence, and boom. And I don't want to put that fully on Ustamir for losing that, because, you know, anybody can get cracked, especially at 205. But I feel like in a little bit of ways, you know, with all the opponents he's fought recently, a lot of it, like, they're going to rely upon wrestling. They're going to do stuff that's kind of forced him to become more of a mixed martial artist, which is great. But also, it's kind of forced his technique to certain aspects to not be as sharp. Not, you know, not being as sharp, you also lead yourself to be open to taking the shots that normally, you know, if you're so dead focused on something else... You've not been focused so much on takedown defense and everything like that and being, you know, all one mixed martial artists, you know, usually some of that stuff won't happen. Now, doesn't mean it's, you know, it's not going to happen because there's been plenty of dudes that, you know, probably should have prepared for takedown de- prepared for takedown defense and got blasted and put out. Particularly, you know, I would say Martin Campman. You know, another great example is Kevin Randleman when he blasted Mirko Krokop. Like, there's, you know, that concept of, you know, when you're focused so much on a wrestler and also next thing you know, you're the better striker and you just get, your button gets hit. And I feel like in this situation, it wasn't really that. It was more, he had prepared so much of being such a more well-rounded fighter. And Jerry being as heavy-handed as is, and he finally just was like, hey, this is, I gotta end this real quick. And just let it go and uncorked a just ridiculous, if I recall, I think it was straight left, but man, he put him out. And I mean, it was bad. Like, I was literally jaw dropped. I was like, Jesus. And I was, that, like, it was brutal. And I mean, that sends a message to the vision. Like, the guy who, you know, if you if you play around too much with Usamir, he's going to put your lights out, man. This guy just made it look easy. Now... I don't think it's really a big, it's going to hurt Ustamir's stock a lot. Because I feel like at the end of the day, he gets blasted, it happens. I just think Ustamir, for certain aspects of the game, I feel like he needs to, you know, you can say all you want. I want to say, like, oh, he needs to refocus upon what got him to the gate. Unfortunately, what got him to the gate was he was a dude that just blasted people. He knocked people out. And he had no time for it. You know, what he did to Jimmy Manoa, what he did to a lot of his opponents going into it that aren't DC, that, you know, aren't DC, that aren't Dominic Grace, that found ways to really take advantage of him. And they exploited him. Like, he he did work. So, I don't know. I'm, I like the fact that he's becoming a more evolved mixed martial artist. I just think ultimately he just got caught. I'm not really going to say, oh, well, if he did this and this, it would have fixed it. I think ultimately he he got caught. And he'll come back. And Jerry, I'm just going to be curious to see what else he's, he's going to fight next in the 205 division. Because he just kind of just set up fresh blood. And I'm excited about that. That's definitely a good fight I'd suggest to watch. Now, I will, the next fight I'm going to say, we're just going to go straight into the main pay-per-view is... Van, Paige Van Zant versus Amanda Rebos, and I mean it's just a good showcase for Rebos in that sense of 
I mean, she she was the better grappler. She she showed like, yo, I'm not gonna. She's like, why am I gonna stand with Paige? I'm gonna take her down and I'm gonna handle it. And she submitted her, like she straight up Ronda Rousey her classically, and just handled business. And Paige, of course, after hitting Rachel o- Rachel Ostevich with the armbar, got hit her with herself. Now, there's a lot more going in with Paige Van Zandt, where she's talked the past 18 months about, like, oh, I want to find my real value, see what my value is as a fighter, all this stuff. And she risked the biscuit on herself, and I'll be curious to see how it's going to go. And I'm going to talk more about, near the end of the podcast, about, you know, understanding your value as a fighter and kind of understanding that concept and just, you know, understanding the whole different organizations and kind of just that whole, at least from all the interviews and everything like that, at least my kind of a whole pointing opinion on that one. Next great fight I do suggest people watch is, and this one I just thought was just good, was Rose Namajunas versus Jessica Andrade, man. And Rose, for the most part, fought a perfect fight. In a lot of ways, technically, she was technically sound. I mean, both of them showed they were... They were, you know, ready to go. Like, they they were both like, hey, I need to put this person out. And Rose just took advantage of her height and length and just did the right things. You know, she hit Andrade with the right jab. She popped her in the face. She pretty much, in a lot of ways, kind of stunted Andrade for the first two rounds. And Andrade just started uncorking and just being like, yo, I got to take her out. Like, I have no time. I can't waste time anymore. And she went for it. I mean, she busted up Rose's nose, busted up her eye. I mean, she did a lot of work, but unfortunately, all that work, you know, she just, she couldn't capitalize on it. And Rose was able to come back, come overcome adversity and beat her. And I mean, that it was a good showcase for Rose. Now, in regards to who I think Rose should fight next, I would say Wiley Zhang, but I also think she should still take some time off. You know, not that like she hadn't just taken time off after her fight with Andrade, but you know, her her face got busted up. You know, she, she kind of needs a little bit of time off, needs to reset a little bit, and kind of just see, you know, if the Wiley Zanks fight's open, if Wiley Zank fights Joanna next, however they're going to work that out. You know, that that's definitely something that's got to get worked out. But overall, I do feel as though, you know, Rose has earned her shot. You know, she overcame adversity to truly you know she overcame getting reaction someone who punted on her head and knocked her out and showed hey i'm still the same person technically i was still just as good you know i you know and i overcame getting rocked like i fought a tough person who wanted to put me out and she did and it'd be interesting for her versus wiley zhang at least in my opinion now you get to Probably my favorite fight of the night, which is Peter Yan versus Jose Aldo. And I feel like that fight overall, man, like, Yan was just on a mission. Like, Aldo hit him with some shots, but Yan just showed him. He's like, after that, the ending of that first round when he punched him straight dead on the ribs. And everyone's like, yo, I think he's got a broken rib. Like, he hurt Aldo. And Aldo's just like, ooh. And, I mean, Jan just stayed on him, man. Like, Aldo was a tough dude, and he gritted through, and he fought Jan hard. And, I mean, that fight, if you look at it, you know, Aldo was 
putting them out. They were hitting each other with everything they had. They were not even maybe two feet apart. They were in Muay Thai stances the whole time. You know, they were just going. You can tell how high level of striking they really have to the way they're fighting. They really weren't going for takedowns unless needed. You know, they were standing in the pocket for the most part. And, I mean, they were hitting each other with some hard body shots, head, head shots, whatever they could, man. And out of working those leg kicks. But Jan was just on another level, man. He was just a destroyer. And, I mean, he just, you know, by the time that fifth round hit, you know, all that damage Aldo had taken, he, he was putting Aldo out. People can argue, oh, could he have stopped sooner, all that stuff. And my fiance was actually like, yeah, they should stop it. I'm like, unfortunately, you know, the ref can stop it during, you know, when Aldo was just turtling up. But he had to pretty much let Aldo show, hey, there's nothing left he can do. You know, Aldo was the guy, ultimately, at the end of the day, he had to say, hey, I'm done. But he wasn't going to do that. He wasn't going to have the white flag thrown in. He wasn't going to physically tap. You know, and Jan had to hit him extra. And it's not like he you know, knocked him out, but, you know, he gave him extra damage that probably couldn't have been needed, if Aldo probably just said, like, hey, I'm done, tap the floor, and the ref was like, good, but unfortunately, Aldo was making the proper moves, he was, you know, still defending himself, he was in turtle position in some spots, and even then, like, pretty much, Jan was not getting the crisp shots that he could have, and that was definitely, you know, for all intents and purposes, you know, Aldo was still effectively defending himself. Even though it wasn't, you know, the best way to defend himself, he wasn't taking a ridiculous amount of just straight-up hammer fist straight on the face. No block like Mario Yamasaki, where, you know, Valentina Shevchenko just destroyed uh, Priscilla Kohea. I can't remember her name, but... You know the fight that pretty much the bullet destroyed the chick. Everyone's like, yo, this fight should have been stopped in the first. She just kept getting elbowed. And the reason why Yamasaki's no longer rough in the UFC. Wasn't like that in comparison. But overall, I mean, I, you know, Jan had a perfect performance. He showed some areas that some people who really looked at it. You know, a guy like Aldo, he hit him with some stuff that... A lot of other guys, particularly body shots and leg kicks, that not a lot of other people would have wanted to have taken. So, you know, again, Jan was just a man on a mission made of steel, and he was not backing down, man. Now, who do I think Jan should fight next? Aljamain Sterling, 100%. 110% Aljamain Sterling should fight pretty much Peter Jan. Like, that's the fight for the 135 belt in the division. It makes the most sense. For Aldo, I think maybe a little extra time off might help out. Just personal opinion. Let him, you know, get his time off, get get himself reacquainted. Maybe have him fight, you know, the winner of Stamen and Rivera. Give him something that's not immediately like a guy who just fought for the title or someone who's now fighting for the title. Let him get some momentum in the Bantamweight division. I know he wants that immediate title shot, which now he got, and he fought for the vacant belt. But then today, you know, I think him getting more comfortable at 35, 
Because, I mean, he's showing he's tough and durable. Like, most people, you know, going down a weight class, they would have been put out. But Aldo showed how tough he was, man. And especially going, it's probably one of the most scariest dudes in the division of 35. You know, he he really showed just, you know, how tough he really can be at 35. And that he's, you know, just because he's losing, he's not, you know, being outright destroyed. He's fighting tough fights. And he's fighting the best of the best at, one, at 135. And I still think he's got, you know enough gas in the tank left to really make a career resurgence, build up some names, fight some great opponents, and get another title shot. I really do. So I think maybe the winner or loser of Stamen and Rivera might be the guy. I think it would make sense. Gives Aldo somebody that's not immediately in the top five. Gives him a chance to fight somebody, build up his resume, build up his name again. Even though everyone knows he's the king of Rio, let him get some wins. Let him get comfortable. You know, if that if I'm his management and his coaching staff, that's what I want. You know, I'm not trying to set him up with just murderer's row again. You know, give him that chance to really be like, hey, let him build himself up. And you'll see how well that's going to do. I mean, Cody Garbrandt's having to do that right now. And he ideally, in a lot of ways, got the perfect opponent for him with, uh, oh my god. I'm forgetting his name, and it kills me right now. It was uh, his last opponent that just got completely just destroyed. Like, he knocked him out bad. It was uh, a son Rafael Asuncao. And overall, I mean, I wouldn't have Asuncao versus Aldo. I definitely would... I think a sunset is the same way, at least just throwing it out there. I think he needs to fight somebody else. Somebody that's not immediately in the top ten, let him build himself back up. You know, and I feel like Cody's going to do the same thing. I don't think Cody should immediately get a title shot after his knockout of a sunset. I think he kind of needs to fight some contenders. You know, get one or two, get one guy, one or two, then fight for the title. Show like, hey, I'm not... The same Garbrandt you guys, you know, have seen the past three fights. I'm a guy trying to show change. Show all the evolution. You know, be the guy that got himself the world championship and play that route. And I definitely think that would be beneficial. And I think that's something Aldo should do. And, you know, like I said before with Jan and Aljamain, they need to fight. That allows the bantamweight division to really just move forward. Now, this next fight I'm going to talk about: Holloway versus Max Holloway versus Alexander Volkanovski. Man, this one, I when I heard the decision that Volkanovski won, I was like, "What?" And my thought process was like, "How?" Holloway legitimately in the first three rounds, took it to him. And pretty much first two rounds, outstruck him, did everything proper that he should be doing. Third round was a lot closer. But even then, I never felt at any point Volkanovski was doing enough to show he won the fight. Even the takedowns, you know, yeah, he got him, but Holloway was getting back up. 
And unfortunately, you can argue the takedowns really benefit him. You can argue that Holloway got one and two. You know, Volkanovski got four and five because of the takedowns. And Volkanovski was coming on strong at the end. You know, he was doing the right things. The champion was trying to overcome. It's that third round, man. Like, I personally feel like Holloway won that third round. I think that he got the first three. He was still going for it. I think Volkanovski's like, hey, I, I have to go desperation mode. Like, I'm already, you know, I'm behind the eight ball. Like, I've lost. Could be three rounds. I need to figure out something. And he went for it. And, you know, he, he got a win that I'm not, at least in my personal opinion, not very happy about because Holloway got robbed. At least that's my opinion. But ultimately, if you look at the 10-plus scoring system, you know, it can benefit Volkanovski. And you can get these, you know, bad decisions where somehow a guy who was down pretty much 3-1 going into the fifth pulled out a win. It's crazy. And, you know, that's another discussion for another time, talking about MMA judging and all the fun stuff that comes with that because everyone's got an opinion on it and... There's really, unfortunately, and I'll talk about more in depth, there's really not a lot of ways to clearly fix the problems. Like, super easy. You can't just, you know, snap your fingers and they all magically they go away. And, like, that's the fight that I feel like is another example of just poor decisions. And just how somebody clearly did three, was up three rounds and still lost. So, like Dana White said, man, do not leave it in the hands of the judges. So, whoever Max fights next, man, I pray for them. I really do. Whether he fights at 55 or 45, wherever he wants to go, I'm curious about it. I'm, I pray for the person, man, because he's going to be coming out like a bat out of hell to put a message out there. And we'll see. Now, for the main event. And I know... For people who are going to argue, oh, the main event sucked. It was boring. Unfortunately, for people who watched every other fight that Usman's had, going up to Woodley and going up, that's not Woodley or, you know, Covington as of late, and especially with all the animosity and everything like that going into it, because legitimately, the Usman's last three opponents have. Talked a fair amount of crap back to him. Mazadol, a guy you know his nickname is Gamebred. He's ready to go. And just ready to fight. And the guy that was just being honest, he's like, yo, Usman comes off this way. He's like, I don't know what Usman I'm getting. Dude's got 17 personalities. Colby Covington, literally was rocking Mag, was just repping, ma- repping the MAGA. Repping Make America Great Again. Repping I'm, Trump, I'm Trump's favorite fighter. All this stuff. And forcing a narrative. Calling out Usman being the guy that's constantly up in his face. And Woodley calling out Usman being like, oh, he's LL Usman. He's like LL Cool J. All three of them talked him out. And they each got shut out. But his fight against Woodley, master performance. Fight against Covington. A war that everyone's like, yo, dude, this dude's getting it. The fight against Masvidal, unfortunately, not the fireworks people were expecting. 
You know, I wanted to see Masvidal knock out Kamaru Usman. I'm not going to lie to you guys. And that's more because I was like, Usman's journey to get where he's at, you know, he's earned it. But unfortunately, when you're facing a guy who's as talented as Usman, you know, just because you've had a great journey, you've done all these things, doesn't equate to a to you getting and beating one of the scariest guys in the 170 division. And for everyone's going to go, well, how is Usman the scariest dude when he just clinched and foot stomped and shoulder struck? That stuff's not, you know, all intents and purposes, it's not flashy, but it wins fights. People are going to be like, you know, Usman was fighting dirty, he stomped on feet. There's nothing wrong with it. If you look at it, you know, there's nothing in MMA rules against you stepping on somebody's foot, man. Foot stomps have been a powerful thing. You know, people wanted to complain about oblique kicks from John Jones. A lot of stuff that Kamar Usman did is a lot of stuff that John Jones has done. You know, jo- that's how Jones handles the clinch. He's a master at dirty boxing in the clinch. And there's, he's the blueprint for it. And what did Usman do? You know, even, what, 15 seconds into the first round against Masvidal, Masvidal was getting tricky, and all of a sudden, next thing he knows, Masvidal's on his back. He's been taken down. And Masvidal got back up, and that's something that a lot of people cannot say they were able to do. A lot of people can't argue that, oh, well, I was able to get back up from Usman. Once Usman gets you down, it's, it's over. He's finishing you. Or he's going to let you up so he can hurt you more on the feet. I mean, if I recall the stats last night, I mean, freaking 5 of 16 takedown 10. He, Usu was only able to five, land 5 legitimate takedowns on Masvidal. And out of 5 out of 16 attempts, he was able to get, it, to get one. Masvidal showed his takedown defense, his wrestling it's not something to be underestimated. You know, he's facing one of the best wrestlers in the division. And he's getting up. He's being smart. He's not blown out of his gas tank. You know, you got to think about it. There's very few people you can really guarantee are going to scare Usman into not going for a takedown. Or force Usman to not go in for a takedown. You know, Covington's one of those guys. And I, I stand by the statement of, I think... Covington has a good style to really counter Usman. Just they both fought a gritty. I'm gonna grunt. I'm gonna clench my teeth, bite down my mouthpiece, and I'm slugging it out with you. Something they needed to do, because if they didn't give anybody, if that's how the fight went any other way, if the fight was a takedown fest or a wrestle fest, it would have never gotten the, you know, the praise. And everyone being like, yo, dude, this fight is legit. You know, it would have never gotten that. They both were hitting each other with the best shots. They did all that. You know, and they, in all intents and purposes, they they matched each other's skill levels. And Usman won out by power. I wouldn't say it was, at least in my opinion, I wouldn't say it was technique. I wouldn't say his IQ was better. I would say he won by power. You know, you can only take but so many shots to the mouth before something starts going. And when your jaw gets broken from getting hit multiple times, 
We got Usman. And I mean, you both are hitting each other with haymakers and the with pretty much you know bombs, and neither of you guys is really backing down. You know, somebody's bound to go. Now with the fight with Masvidal, everyone saw a more calculated, older Usman who relies on his wrestling to change his game plan, and he fought the smart fight. He's not going to give Masvidal room to strike and stand and kickbox him and just go to put him out. He's not doing that. Like, that's not within his, you know, all intents and purposes. That's not his way to victory. You know, he knew his way to victory was wrestling. He knew at the end of the day, like, yeah, Mazadal's probably not ready for it. Mazadal's a guy that's coming in on six days notice. We're both fighting each other on it. I'm not being stupid. I have to do something that is going to give me a win, whether it's flashy or not. And he did. You know, people are going to be complaining that, oh, it was a bore, it was the ultimate bore fest. Like, I saw, you know, the fight, uh, I saw, like, somebody changed the Wikipedia. It was, like, ultimate bore fest or something like that. Something ridiculous. I'm like, yo, if you guys really want to watch, you know, fights, y'all want to talk about, you know, the greatest pound-for-pound champion in the welterweight division, George St. Pierre, a lot of his performances were not the most best fights to watch. Great examples of how to be great fighters, but not the most exciting. And I, I want somebody to be like, oh, well, uh, you know, his, he, he, you know, his, his fight against this, where it was a, it was a bloodbath, it was this, it was that. Most of his fights, he jabbed you and took you down. Put you on the ground, and he elbowed you. He showed great positional control. GSP did a lot of those things right. He was never risking himself, and that's what Usman's doing. Usman's doing very same, cold, calculated, I have to make this guy fight in my wheelhouse. I have to make this guy fight where I feel most comfortable. Because in today, Usman's not a guy I feel like that is the most comfortable standing with anybody yet. And I don't think he ever will be. I think he's got the concept of keep it simple, stupid striking. Which is, he's quoted himself on doing it. Henry Hooft has enforced that with him. I, and I stand by this statement. If Usman ever decides to fully commit to just straight boxing and Muay Thai fighting and one opponent that clearly is a way better stand-up striker, he's getting knocked out. I don't care how tough a chin he has. If only things relying upon is nothing, is nothing but that. He doesn't want to wrestle. He doesn't want to do anything like that. Even though we saw it with the Colby fight, Colby was doing the same stuff. You know, they weren't really. You know, Colby's not the greatest striker. He's a good dude who can strike for a wrestler, and he's a volume fighter. He's not a power. He's not a power striker. He's a volume striker. You, know, you can go with all his examples for every fight he's had. Doesn't have really that many finishes. You know, his performance against Robbie Lawler explained that. Miles went on the other end. He did everything right. And everyone's going to be like, oh, well, you know, you're talking about Kamaru Usman's fight against Colby. Like, you know, all this stuff like Colby was way better. Colby's better in certain aspects of that, though he got finished. Colby was a different fight compared to what Masvidal presented. You know, 
Masvidal is a more polished striker. Guy who has great takedown defense, great at blocking submission defense. He's a guy that has all the right skills. It's just unfortunate. He went against Usman. And at the end of the day, you know, he didn't capitalize where he could have. And at the end of the day, you know, how are you going to capitalize on something when the guy's fighting a perfect game plan? He's not letting you get space. He's not giving you a chance to really get comfortable and strike with him. The few times he did, Mazel was showing off like how much faster he was, how much more crisp his striking was. And what did Usman do? Close the distance. He went for takedowns. He might have not got him, but he wore down Masvidal, put lactic acid in his arms, and he made the fight his. Which is how a champion wins fights, whether people want to agree or disagree on it. People want to be like, oh, well, champions need to always go through wars. Not really. You know, the best fighters are the ones that use their mind and understand that their fight, fight IQ-wise for this one, I have to play it safe and fight the f- correct fight. I cannot stand in front of this guy. Or I need to make sure that if just because he has great takedowns, that I'm able to stuff them or even not take him down, make him not feel comfortable. I mean, GSP is one of the few dudes that wrote a blueprint on how to be a dominant champion. In a lot of ways, Usman's drinking that Kool-Aid. Usman wants the GSP fight. And, you know, I think it's... In particular, uh, I stand by this one. I don't think he's earned that fight, not due to the fact that, you know, Usman's not deserving. But he's still young enough in his UFC career. He's young enough in, you know, being welterweight champ. That he's he's got to fight the murderer's row before he can fight, you know, the pound for pound welterweight king. You know. At the end of the day, GSP was arguably the best welterweight of all time. You can argue he's the greatest, number one greatest of all time. Because he went up, defended the welterweight title, what, 13, 12, 13 times? You know, or actually not even that, because that's Mighty Mouse. I think he defended it, what, 10 times, 10, 11? Goes up after he retires, comes back, puts on mass puts on muscle to fight Bisping, goes in, knocks him out, and just launches him, and if I recall, submits him. If I recall, because it's been a minute since I've watched that fight. Uh, let me bring it up this way. I want to make sure I got the finish correct. This way. This way I don't feel like, oh, I'm, you know, forgetting it, but GSP did the right things, and he won the well. You see middleweight title, and then was like, and I'm good. Like, hit the deuces. He's like, I'm not risking any more of this. And just was like, I'm good, and just dipped. You know, he he played the right cards, man. And that's not so, Yeah, he, uh, yep, ran a choke. He tapped out Bisming after he dropped him with a ridiculous, you know, jab and right hand that behind it. Like, he threw everything he had into that to put him out and then to get the submission and he did it and I don't know I don't see them fighting just because at the end of the day GSP's also older and unfortunately for Usman GSP's already earned his you know Hall of Fame status 
GSP doesn't really have a reason to come back. GSP talks come back to fight because he knows money. He understands it. GSP's not going to come back for a guy he doesn't feel like is worthy of, at least to him, if you look at it. He's a great fighter. He's a great martial artist. But he's not somebody worth the money GSP pulls in. GSP wants somebody that, one, either he knows he can beat easily to get a title, or he wants a money fight. Because at the end of the day, he's a fighter. What do you want to do when you're fighting? You don't want to just fight for nickels and dimes. You want the million-dollar paycheck. That's the truth. You know, I can't. I want anybody to ask that same question. If they're in GSP spot, would you come back to fight Kamara Rusman, the nightmare of the 170 division right now, the guy who's probably not going to give you the biggest payday, who risks who risks a lot for your for your legacy? No, I'm not doing that. I've done my thing. I've gotten the title defenses. I've won two different. I've won titles in two different weight divisions. And I retired on top, not once, but twice. Like, GSP legitimately had has written the book on a career ending. He chose the not his own terms. And a lot of people can't say they did. You know, there's not a lot of fighters that they can say they did. And ultimately, I know everyone's like, oh, well, you know, why are you not giving more criticism to both Mazadal and Usman? End of the day... It was a fight. You know, both of them, you know, Masvidal tried his best to submit his game plan. He thinks he can come back, change everything up. And I think both of them, all with a longer camp, probably can show some bigger strides in their evolution. Because we all know they're going to fight again. Now, because, like y'all, Usman said, there's always the built-in excuse. He fought him on six days' notice. They fought each other on six days' notice. But then you're going to be like, oh, well, he trained for him. He did this, he did that. Give them a six to eight week training camp. Let them really get behind it. Let them, you know, really see differences. And we might see a completely different outcome. Or we might see more of the same. You know, I can't really tell you any different. Because at the end of the day, the fight game is something you cannot predict. Like, don't out there. Nine times out of ten, Ben Askren beats Masvidal. Ben Askren takes Masvidal to the ground, pounds him out does pretty much what he wants, and just walks away. What happens? Mazel hits him with a flying knee that no one sees coming, tricked him into it, set him up into it, and boom. Five-second knockout. Holds the fastest knockout in UFC history. And got his name exploded over the hardcores and the casual fans because of the knockout and the fact that Ben Askren was undefeated. You know, all intents and purposes, he built himself up. And that's kind of like how I'm going to end on that one for in regards to like this fight. It was a great performance by Usman. Not the great performance in the fact that it was a flawless technical performance in the concept of how good is dirty boxing and clinch work and how important it is in a UFC fight. Actually, in a fight in general. For being fighting at the best of the best, the top of the peak. How much of, you know, for a wrestler to be a dominant champion, you know, yet this, he's already shown how good his wrestling is, how good his dirty boxing can be. 
And he just added the cherry on top of it. He took it out and he was like, hey, this is something I need to win. And he just did it. Unfortunately, Masvidal was a victim of what Usman does. It's kind of how it goes. Now, to who do I think... Now, I'm going to... I know, I forgot to... Who do I think Holloway or who do I think Volkanovski should fight next? So, Holloway... Again, it's one of those things where I feel like he could take some time off. Similar to what Rose and similar to what I'm saying about Aldo. I mean, Holloway could fight, you know, the winner of Cater and In and Ige. That wouldn't be a bad fight. It's not like it's a fight that really takes him back too much. It's just a fight that works. While, you know, for Volkanovski, he's got Emmett. And he's also got the winner of Korean Zombie versus you know, Brian Ortega. He's got options. You know, and I... It's kind of going to be a tough one to kind of see. See what's going to happen. Those are some tough fights for Volkanovski. You know, if he fights Emmett, that's a... That's a tough fight for both. You know, either way, and Emmett's a power puncher too. And I'd be kind of curious to see how it's going to go. Volkanovski's a good dude. He knows how to fight. I still feel like Holloway beat him, but at the end of the day, that's kind of the problem with judging. You know, you kind of set yourself up. And same thing with Holloway. I think that, I feel like the Cater and Ige fight, or Ige fight, would make the most sense for him. It's a fight that builds him back up. He's facing a contender. He's not immediately facing somebody in the top 10. He's facing somebody that's a good stylistic matchup for him. And it builds him up. Or if not, he goes to 55 and fights somebody else up there. Really, he's got options. He's really not limited. Now you have for Masvidal and Usman. Honestly, I would want for, for Masvidal, I would want to say Edwards because that fight's already got built in backstory. But, in that caveat, I also kind of, honestly, I kind of want to see, I want to throw out the Colby fight, that wouldn't be a bad fight, but I feel like Colby's probably going to fight, you know, Ponzinibbio or Edwards. I don't think he's going to fight Maz at all. I don't feel like that's a fight that he feels as though, I guess, is... Something's going to get him at a title shot. You know, he wants somebody he can make a message with. And I guess Woodley, with what happened with Woodley, kind of getting blown out the way he did, that's kind of even tougher. So, I don't know. He's got, they, he has options. You know, he's got Colby. He's got Edwards. And he's also got Santiago Ponzinibbio out there as well. People forget about Ponzinibbio, man. Same thing with Wonderboy. There's a lot of good fights out there for him. They just need to let him happen. Just saying. Now for Usman. Only fight that makes sense. Burns. You know, the fight makes the most sense. It's a good fight for both. And realistically, that fight's a lot more even on paper. And what I mean by that is for people who kind of want to think about it, what what Burns can do on the ground submission-wise 
is scary. It's a great equivalent to what Usman can do with his wrestling. You know, you can argue, oh, he beat, you know, Usman beat, already beat the scary submission artist in Damian Maya. He did, but he also had the blueprint of how to beat that. You know, with Colby Covington and Tyron Woodley setting up the blueprint of how to, you know, beat Damian Maya. You don't want to go in his guard. You don't want to be that guy. You want to force him to stand up. You want to brutalize him. You want to make sure that Maya's not able to feel comfortable. And that's kind of how you beat him. Burns is a scarier person. Because Burns not only has the grappling and the jujitsu like Damian Maya, but he's got the striking and the power to back it up. And in my opinion, that makes him a tougher fight. Because the striking and the jujitsu, in a lot of ways, can even out a guy like Usman who is, you know, keep it simple, stupid striking and great dirty boxing and clinch work and wrestling. The lot of things that both of them do, they even each other out. And since they both train each other, it's a tough fight for both. Overall. And I'm excited for that fight when it happens. I think it probably won't happen until, what, November? Probably November. I wouldn't be surprised. Just saying it gives Usman some time off. He wants to spend time with his daughter. Gives him a chance to, you know, really re reset himself, which I think he does need that. As well as it gives Burns a chance to really, you know, after, you know, getting COVID and everything like that, a chance to really get healthy, you know, even though it's unknown everything that kind of, how his body's really reacting to it right now. You know, we're not hearing he's hospitalized or anything like that. But it could take a bit for him to, you know, get training partners again for his team to want to bring him back in for all these things. Because he's had it. And now he's got to get make sure he's completely negative that he can't get that a lot of things that he can't risk giving to anybody else, all that stuff. And I know all the medical people will be like, oh well, you know, once you get the fourteen quarantines, all that. Still, no one wants to really gonna want to risk it with a person they know is oh they've had in the past. So I think that'll November time would probably benefit them both. Now I said I was gonna talk about. You know, fighters risking the biscuit on their last fight in their contract and then going into another organization. Now, I will talk about that, but I'm going to talk about it on the next podcast in regards to the next MMA podcast because we have two fights this weekend. This week, we have one on Wednesday, Danny Gay versus Calvin Cater. Good fight card. And then you also have. It's a, uh, oh my god, I'm blanking on it. It's really annoying me. Figueredo versus Benavidez too. And ultimately, that's another good fight card. So definitely check them out, and I'll go over them just because, end of the day, once those cards are both done, I'll do my next podcast on it. So this way you guys can have some fun. So hold off on the topic till next time. This way you guys kind of, it's next up. Sorry it took a little bit, but. Wanted to get my thoughts out. Wanted to kind of get differences of the fights. This way people kind of just listening to it kind of can see a little bit of perspective on what led up to why the hype of this fight went the way it is. And why in certain aspects it didn't really lead up to it because 
the styles made the fight the way they were. So that being said, thank you guys for listening and uh, have a great night. Later.